Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to JVL Press again. I'm Dustin. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're just joining us, we're going through a series right now called Everyday Disciples. And this morning we're looking at the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, some of the most famous verses in all of the Gospels. Now, with that in mind, friend, hear the word of the Lord to us. This is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's word in front of them. Hear the word of the Lord to us. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated and let's pray together as you keep that Bible open in your lap in front of you. Uh, Father, we love you. And Lord, we pray that for each one of us right now, Lord, we pray for each other, that as we leave this morning, that we would love you all the more. Uh, Father, we pray that our love for you would grow out of your love for us. And Lord, that it would spill over into the way that we love the people in our lives. And Lord, we also pray that that would give us courage to share our faith. And so, Lord, I pray that for everyone listening to me right now, that they would have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone this year. And Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're with us over the last few weeks, you may know that we're going through this series called Everyday Disciples. And my big suggestion to you is that I want you to start thinking in a sort of a different metaphor, right? We live out of our metaphors, right? And so if you tell yourself that, you know, you are a CEO type parent, that's going to filter down to the way that you see your parenting, right? Well, if you think about the Christian life, the, the metaphor that I want you to be thinking through and living out of is Christianity as a path as a way. It is a rhythm of life, right? And that's the first title that Christians are ever given. If you read the book of Acts, when the church is born, what we see is that Christians call themselves the way. And the reason I think they call it that way, or the reason they call it that, is because I really do think they envision Christianity living into the kingdom of God as a rhythm and a way of doing life, right? And so what I want to suggest to you is that there are certain steps along that path. There are certain ways to live out that rhythm. And so if you remember from several weeks ago, uh, Scott talked about prayer and praying as a rhythm of life, right? You pray in the morning and at noon and at night. And he gave us great uh, advice and insight into how to make prayer a rhythm of life. Uh, Earlier, uh, just uh, in the last couple of days, I suggested to you that community and connecting with other believers is inherent to Christianity. It is, a, it is one of the inherent ways that we live out this rhythm of life. And really, it's the gospel that connects other believers to each other. And if there's anything but the gospel connecting us, eventually you may find yourself killing that community rather than building it in. And then, if you can remember from a few weeks back, I suggested to you that learning is an inherent step it's one of, the, one of the, the left footsteps that you make on the path of discipleship because discipleship really just means learning, right? That's what the word disciple means. It means somebody who is a learner. And that even comes up right here in our passage where Jesus tells his disciples to go teach people and to observe all that I have commanded. So we see that learning is inherent 
to the Christian way of life. And if you, and if you want to impress me, learning is not information alone. It's what? Immersion and what? And imitation. Yeah, I took a guy fly fishing yesterday at Tuvel State Park. And I got to be honest, it wasn't good. I said, show me your cast. And guess what? It wasn't good. I said, who taught you how to fish like that? And what did he say? YouTube. What's the problem there? He had all the information, but I said, what, buddy, you got to get immersed in the river and you got to imitate me. It's about immersion and imitation. Jesus invites you to follow me, not me, me, him, right? To follow him on a path because the Christian life is a way of life. It is a rhythm where we are following Jesus and there are certain steps that we take on that path. We make prayer a rhythm of life. We make connecting with other believers a way of life. We make learning a way of life where we immerse ourselves in God's word and the apostles' teaching, and we imitate his life. Well, this morning, what I want to suggest to you is the next step, uh, not that these are always sequential, but the next step we're going to be looking at is going to be the most challenging, I think, for our congregation. I think if you looked at our congregation, you could probably tell that we're a praying group of people, and we like connecting with each other. I mean, we have so much fun at our congregational meetings, we just have an after party two weeks later and do it all over again. I think we're a learning congregation. I know many of you care about studying the Bible and learning. But this morning what we're looking at is maybe the weak spot for many of us, not just as a, as a specific local church, but for all Christians right now, which is reaching other people with the gospel, sharing the actual gospel with other people. Now, you know, somebody, you know, will, you know, when I talk about sharing the gospel or evangelizing, Lord have mercy, I'll use that word and trigger some of you. Yeah, I'm talking about evangelism, sharing the gospel. Some people, you know, will say, well, I preach the gospel, and if necessary, I use words. Anyone ever thought like that? You know, you know I'll, I'll preach the gospel by my actions, but don't ask me to say anything to anybody ever. Well, the problem with saying, I'll preach the gospel, use words if necessary, that's like saying, feed the poor, use food if necessary, right? It's inherent to feeding people who are hungry is to give them food. Sharing the gospel is inherent to telling people the message of Christianity. Yes, we can proclaim the truthfulness of Jesus by our actions and our way of life, but at the end of the day, how will people hear if no one tells them? And how will people tell if no one sends them? You know, this is the argument from Romans that inherent to reaching people with the gospel is actually communicating the gospel to them. In fact, that's where the gospel of Matthew ends, with the Great Commission. And it is great. It'll take you the rest of your life to fulfill it. Because you will always have new people in your life and in your sphere of influence that you can be talking to and reaching for the sake of the gospel. So the hard part, as I said, is it's a weak spot for our church, but you know, it's also a weak spot for all Christians alive today. Uh, you know, a quick Google search you know, shows that the Barna Group and Lifeway Research and many other groups like Campus Crusade have done all kind of polls on Christians over the last couple of years to find out how many Christians are actually sharing the gospel with other people. Do you think, it's, okay, are you prepared for good news or bad news? What do you think? Guys, you're at church. It's always good news, right? It's always the gospel. Cheer up. We're worse than we think, okay? <laughs> Lifeway Research, uh, owned by the Southern Baptist Convention, in 2016 polled uh, thousands of non-Christians. 
And they asked them, has a Christian ever told you how to become a Christian? You know, out of 10, what, how many out of 10 do you think said, yeah, actually someone once told me how to become a Christian? Three out of 10. So only three out of 10 non-Christians have ever even had a Christian talk to them about what it means to be a Christian. A Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, the campus ministry, anybody ever familiar with Campus Crusade for Christ? We support a missionary in Bend through Campus Crusade for Christ. His name is Brent O'Neill. Many of you have met him or heard him preach over the last several years. We support Brent, who works for Campus Crusade for Christ, and they pulled Christians. And guess what? Fun fact, the majority of Christians never tell anyone they know about the gospel. Never. The majority never say anything about the gospel to other people. Now, what do you think the top five reasons are? When a Christian is asked, why don't you share the gospel with anybody? Well, Campus Crusade found these are the top five reasons. Number one is what? Anyone want to take a guess? Fear. Fear. Number two is what? Lack of opportunity. Lack of opportunity. Number three, this is the most honest. No reason. There's no reason. I have no, no explanation. Number four, Christians, the top four reasons. Number four is that I'm untrained to do it. I don't know how to do it. Number five, this may compete for the most honest. Number five is I just lack the interest. So if I were to ask you, have you shared the gospel with anybody in the last two years of your life? Statistically, the answer, I mean, if we're a normal church, which I would say that we are, you know, we're striving to be everyday disciples, most of us would say, well, it's a combination of fear, lack of opportunity, really no good reason, I guess. Also, I lack the basic interest to do it, and I don't really know how to do it. Does that sound about right? And then for non-Christians that we know, we know that only about 29% of them have ever actually had the gospel shared with them. So, I hope I'm building the case, uh, if you're a Christian in the room, that this is an area of growth, right? Every time that we see something where we're maybe not doing what we're supposed to, you can take it and get discouraged and feel like, you know, oh, I'm just not living up to the call of Jesus. Instead, though, what I would suggest to you is think of this as a growth opportunity. Think of this as, oh, this may be what God is calling me to do right now. And the great news about following Jesus is it will take you the rest of your life to learn how to do this. I mean, think about this. Jesus tells the apostles in the Gospel of John, there's a lot I want to tell you, but what? You're not ready. There's a lot more I'm going to tell you, but you're not ready for it. Well, that may be where many of us are. There's a lot of growth that we've seen in our Christian life over the last two years, but maybe we weren't quite ready. And maybe now, just maybe now, you are entering into a season in your life where maybe actually you are ready and you are called to share the gospel. So why would we share the gospel? Well, I chose Matthew 28 for the obvious reason, right? This is the Great Commission. Now look down at verse 16 with me. This passage is, uh, you know, it's great. It's, it's fascinating. It's got depth to it. Uh, you probably learned some things you didn't know that it said in there. But look at verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Why are there only 11? I thought there were 12. Why are there only 11? Because at this point, Judas has hung himself. So the 11 disciples... Small group of guys, wouldn't you say? <laughs> After the resurrection, these 11 disciples, they meet Jesus on a mountain. We don't know which mountain, but they obviously knew which one Jesus had told them to meet him at. In verse 17, it tells us what? And when they saw him, 
that is the resurrected Lord Jesus, Jesus back from the dead, they experience something called cognitive dissonance, <laughs> which means my brain doesn't know how to wrap around this thing because we know you died. We, we saw the tomb, and now you are back from the dead. I mean, who can forget St. Thomas, doubting Thomas, who says, well, unless I put my hand in his side and feel the holes in his hands, I'll never believe. There's cognitive dissonance. These 11 disciples, some are doubting. Uh, commentators suggest that maybe there are other people than the 11, and those are the people who are doubting. Uh, but the problem is the passage doesn't mention anybody else but the 11. Uh, so it could be that even the apostles right now are just trying to wrap up their minds around that Jesus is alive. And they don't know if they can believe it. I mean, this is unbelievable. They've never seen anything like this. Jesus is back from the dead, and he's going to ascend to the Father. Look at verse 18. Jesus comes to them and he says what? All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. All authority has been given to me. And then he gives them the commission. Go, therefore, make disciples. Of whom? All the nations. You know, earlier in this service for our prayer, I read Psalm 67. This is from the Old Testament. Listen to the global, worldwide vision that the Psalms have for the salvation of all people groups and all nations. Listen to this. This is Psalm 67. This is Old Testament stuff. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your way, your way, may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples, that's not a typo, that means people groups, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. When Jesus gets up and says, now is the time. All nations can come to me. Uh, friends, it is the epoch and the history of redemption that was wrought by Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. And now he calls all people from every nation, language, and tribe to bow down to him. And he does so with authority. Does it offend you that Jesus commands your obedience? He doesn't just invite you to follow him. He calls you and commands you with authority. Yes, the gospel is an invitation, but don't forget that Jesus has authority. He has the right, he has the only right to call you to bow and to fear him and to love him. And not only does he have the authority, he has the authority and the grace and the love that should compel you to want to bow down to him. To be a Christian, the, the easiest way to be a Christian, think about it this way. It means cap, C-A-P. It means you acknowledge Jesus's control over your life. Jesus, you control my life. Not me. You have control. You have all authority, which means you have all control over my life. A-C-A-P, control authority. Jesus, you have the authority to tell me what to do. If you tell me go, I will go. If you tell me to stop, I will stop. 
If you call this sin, I call it sin. And if you call me to do this, I will do it. Because I am like a good soldier who does what my commander tells me to do. Jesus, you have control over my life. Thank you. You have all authority in heaven and on earth, and particularly over my little life. And then the P is you are present with me. You are with me. Your spirit and God's spirit are like this. What does Jesus promise? Look at verse 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To be a Christian is to proclaim God's control, his authority, and his presence, his goodness. You walk today redeemed by the blood and loved by God, and your spirit and his spirit are like this forever. See, friends, what we're seeing in the Great Commission is I think we're seeing why we want to reach people. Now, of course, the, the main argument that they're giving is because it really is true. So the main argument for, that I think I can give you, that Scripture is giving you for why we want to reach other people with the gospel, is very simply this. It's true. It's true. Jesus is back from the dead. I mean, imagine a world where Jesus is actually alive Imagine a world where Jesus actually, after the resurrection, walked on our planet and he ate broiled fish <laughs> and he made breakfast. Friends, that's the world you and I inhabit every day. We wake up new every morning in a world where Jesus has all authority and is coming again. You know, Leslie Newbigin, the great missionary, you know, at the end of his life, uh, was giving an interview, and they asked him, they said, are you a pessimist or an optimist? I mean, come on, what stupid categories? Like, those are the only two options for a worldview. And what is Leslie Newbigin's famous answer? What does he say? He said, I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. <laughs> I love that. I reject your stupid categories. What do you mean, am I a pessimist? Jesus Christ is alive. What do you mean I'm an optimist? We're all going to figure this one out. Oh, please. Jesus Christ is alive. And that makes all things possible. Makes all things possible. It's a stunning realization. It's so stunning that Jesus is alive that some people are doubting, even some of these early disciples. Look at verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but somewhat. <laughs> what is happening? They had cognitive dissonance. What do you mean Jesus is alive? Well, he is. Are you at that point where you believe that? You know how you'll know? Because you want to tell other people about it. You know the stories you tell? The stories you tell are always the weird ones. You know, you'll never believe what just happened, right? Have you ever started a story off like that? You do it because it seems to be beyond belief. It seems almost unfathomable, unfathomable to believe it would happen. But friends, that's what the resurrection means. You'll never believe this. Jesus is actually alive. And he has authority and he's calling us, all people groups, to bow down to him. Because he is worthy of everything. Why do we tell him? It's because it's the shock of the resurrection and it's true. Uh, the other reason we, I would suggest that we give uh, for why we want to reach people is right there in verse 17 and 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. You know, all of our life is under the authority of Jesus. 
Now, granted, Jesus has all authority over all creation and all lives, but he's not exercising his fullness of his authority because he has yet to return. And so, yes, Jesus reigns at the right hand of God the Father, but why is life still so messed up, and why are people sick, and why does death happen in tragedy? Isn't Jesus in charge? Well, Second Peter starts to give us a bit of an answer to that question. And Peter says, don't you know that a day to the Lord is like a thousand years to us, and a thousand years to us is like a day to the Lord? And then in Second Peter chapter 3, he says, don't you recognize that God is patient with our world? not wishing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance and life. You see, Jesus is giving people an opportunity to respond to his lordship. But one day he will come again in glory and he will make all things new. If you're a Christian, you reach people because he has authority over your life. And if he says, reach others, you say what? Here I am, send me. You know, another reason we share the gospel and reach people, and again, this is, this is, not, this is information, right? That's, I'm bumping up against the problem of preaching. I'm giving you information, but you need to experience this yourselves, and your parents can't experience this for you. But what Jesus promises is that you and the Spirit will be like this. Look at verse 20. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I love that. This is why you should have an old translation or the ESV or a more literal, behold. Look doesn't have the same sort of like, you know, gravitas. Look! It doesn't sound very good. Behold. Behold. I am with you always to the end of the age. If you are born again, if you have been baptized into his name, you are never alone. God's spirit is united with you until the day you die, which is really the day of your rebirth when you enter into his presence fully. The reason we share is because we know God. You know, I think, you know, nobody said this in their answer, but in my experience, I would venture to say that what holds a lot of Christians back from sharing the gospel is they don't believe it's actually good news. And when you think about your friends who don't know Christ, all you realize is Jesus will come in and he will wreck their place. <laughs> Because they're living for the world, this relationship, this way of life. I mean, it's just going to go all out the window. So, I mean, I feel bad for them that they don't know the fullness of truth. But gosh, if, if the gospel actually got through to them, they may actually have to change a lot of things. And it may cost them something. But friends, is the spirit within you? Would you ever give that up? Why would you not share that with somebody? Do you believe the gospel is good news? Friends, it is the best news. It's the only good news. So how, how do we share the gospel, right? I mean, I know many of you, um, if the Spirit's within you, at least there's some part of you that says, well, I want to share the gospel. And uh, how do you do it? Well, let me give you a couple of options. Uh, number one, we like to say here at our church, this is an easy way to remember the gospel. Some of you can finish it. It's just two simple messages. The gospel, this, this comes from a pastor named Jack Miller, who's since passed away from cancer. Uh, the, the gospel is two simple messages. Cheer up. You're worse than you think. The beginning of the gospel goes like this. Repent. Turn from your sins. Repent. Turn. You're worse than you think. 
And if you're a Christian, you know what happens? You go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Okay, very true. <laughs> but it's a message of hope. Cheer up. You're worse than you think. And then the second message goes like what? Cheer up. And this is something to, to memorize, which is why I don't want you to write it down. I want you to remember this. Cheer up. You are more loved and accepted. You are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than you dare imagine. How much do you think God would love you and accept you if you cleaned up your life? I mean, if you're a really good person, how much would he accept you? Throw that out the window and try to wrap your mind around Jesus died for your sins so that he would accept you by grace. And he loves you and accepts you more than you will even dare to imagine for the rest of your life. You cannot plumb the depths of God's grace and love for you in Christ Jesus. That's the message. You're worse than you think, and you're more loved and accepted than you think. Now, a second way you maybe could go about this um, is, you know, as we're going through these discipleship steps, TJ made this really great graphic, which is all full of meaning, and they, they represent different things. So if you look in your bulletin or the graphic, you'll see some of these things. But as we talk about these discipleship steps, a way that would help you remember them is if you realize that those steps are also a way for you to share your testimony with other people, right? So the first step, a disciple is a what? Discipleship means what? Learning. Very good. Some of you, you know, were imitating me when I said that. Very good, right? Well, all of us at some point learned about the gospel. Some, at some point in your life, if you're a Christian, you learned about, you heard it in a different way. You learned the gospel. And then probably at some point, you started connecting with other Christians, and it was probably a sweet time in your life. You probably started serving, and you probably started looking at money differently. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was in college, my friend Kyle shared the gospel with me, and I didn't want it to be true. And so what I did is I went back to my dorm room in Oxford, Mississippi, and I prayed a very simple prayer. God, if you are real, I will read one book of the Bible. You have one shot to convert me, and if I don't like what your book says, I'll be done with you forever. And what book did I just happen to open up to? I just happened to open up to the Gospel of John, and I cried my way through that. Because over and over again, Jesus keeps asking a question in red letters. What are you seeking? And finally, only at the end of the Gospel of John, when Mary is at the resurrection, when she beholds the risen Lord, guess what question Jesus asks her? Mary, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And I finally had my answer. I'm seeking the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And so the very next thing I did, you know what I did? I had the strangest urge. I went to the interdenominational food pantry, and I got introduced to a bunch of Episcopalians who every week gave food to the homeless and the poor in that town. And for two years, I served as a volunteer just helping people get food. I got a guy, one time a guy pulled a gun on me for real, a revolver. Almost was a martyr. I was this close to being a martyr. <laughs> I was so, could have had a statue, could have had a feast day after St. Dustinian. And then I started doing all kind of goofy things. Like I met a homeless guy and I gave him money and then he was like, I need food. And so I got him chicken on a stick because that's what you eat in Mississippi. <laughs> comes from a gas station. And then I let him use the dorm shower. My roommate was very weirded out. 
when this homeless guy was using the hall shower. And then I had the strangest urge to join a local church. And I walked into Christ Presbyterian, and I said, I want to join. And they said, great, there's a class for that. And I sat through a five-week class. And then when I was done, you know what they did? I thought they were going to pat me on the back, parade me around the church. Instead, they gave me nursery duty. (laughs) And then they gave me usher duty. But you know what? I loved it because they treated me like a member that was supposed to serve the body. And I wasn't some special, you know, case because I was a college student only passing through. So I did things like ushering. And I did things like give to this church, even though I worked at Kroger, which you know as Fred Meyer. Now, the reason I share all that is because all I'm doing is pulling memories out of my mind. I didn't even plan what I just said. And I didn't have to. You know why? Because all those stories are true. But what I did, if you look down or if you look up, is I walked through the discipleship steps. When did I learn the gospel? When did I learn what the gospel was? From my friend Kyle and when I started reading the gospel of John, how did I start serving? The food pantry. When did I start giving money differently? How did I start connecting with other believers? What church was it? Why do you remember that? Because people remember stories. Was my story interesting? Oh, you guys. No. But here's the thing. If you start a story, you know, you got, what is it? What do you, when people start something, you, when you start something, you want other people to, you know, what is it? See, I'm already annoying you. That's my point. You start a story, people want you to finish it, even if it's boring. But how does it end? Well, it doesn't have to end in some big crescendo. The point is, if you look at those discipleship steps, when, when did I get serious about the gospel? When did it actually pierce my heart? You, you know, if you think you grew up in the church so your testimony is boring, friend, you were bound for hell, and Christ Jesus saved you by his blood and has filled you with his Holy Spirit so that you could live forever with him. Nothing about that is boring, Okay. Or you need to redefine what you think is interesting, because that's incredible. You have a unique testimony to share with a unique group of people that I do not know, nor does everyone in this room perfectly know. And if you can remember some of those steps, when did I learn the gospel? When did I start serving? How did I start giving of my time and my money differently, and why in the world would I do that? When did I start connecting with other believers? Where did I start worshiping? Why did I worship? You know, gosh... The music at Christ's Press, oh, it was painful. The sermons never ended. But that wasn't what it was about. It wasn't about that. It was about worshiping God and being connected to other believers. See, if you take those discipleship steps, we could spend the rest of the afternoon hearing people share their testimony in about a minute. Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool to hear how one of the people in our church learn the gospel? I mean, how did you learn the gospel? Or when did it become real? Or when did you all of a sudden start looking at your money differently? And why? Why do you worship at Javo Prez? See, those are all the things you could just share with somebody. And guess what? You can do it in about a minute. You could share your testimony in about a minute. That's all it takes. You know, it's funny. People think they need all kind of evangelism training, You know, 
If you read the Gospel of Matthew, goodness gracious, in like John chapter like 10, Jesus is like, all right, go preach the gospel. And the disciples are like, okay, wait, what's the, what's the gospel? The kingdom of God. Okay, great. And they come back, and they're like, what, did, what, what, what was that? Right? And then Jesus is back from the dead, and they're like, I don't know if this is true. What's going on? And then even in the book of Acts, they're like, wait, Gentiles? That's a thing? Jesus sends people out before we would think that they're ready. Could it be that you are ready even right now? I think this goes back to whether or not you see these discipleship steps as the way of the Christian life or just sort of optional things that you can do. Because if you actually see these things as the way, if you don't think you're ready to share the gospel or your life stage is not great right now, so maybe you shouldn't share the gospel, what I would suggest to you is this is the way you become healthy again. This is the way that you get back with God. You do these things, and they are the pathway. It may just be that you sharing the gospel is one of the things that reignites your faith. It's the way. You know, I know, uh, I mean, I'm past my time, so let me just finish up with this. You know, our dream at our church is to see 100 people baptized in the next five years. If you hang with us until, you know, I don't know, Christmas time of 2026, I pray every morning that you and I will witness 100 baptisms, which means if you're quick on your math, that means 20 baptisms a year, every year for the next five years. How that could look, I mean, if you listen to base camp, how that could look, it could look like five kids, five teenagers, and 10 adults. That's just a simple breakdown. That's an option. But friends, I hope you're praying for that every day. I hope you join me in praying for that every day. But the way we want to tackle that is in the fall, when school starts back up in September, we're going to be hosting an evangelism course, uh, not to train us, but it's actually to introduce Christianity to people who are unchurched. Uh, we haven't decided quite yet if we're going to do something called Christianity Explored or the Alpha Course, but both of them are built around a meal. Uh, so what we want to do is while middle school youth group is meeting, we want to put some food trucks out into the courtyard, have a great dinner, and then we're going to watch some videos and have an open-ended discussion where non-Christians would feel safe to go through the questions of faith. And it would be non-committal, there's no bait and switch, it's just introduce people to the basic concepts of faith. And one of the things that I'm praying for, and I hope that the Spirit in you convicts you to do, is I am praying that 50 people in our church... 5-0, 50 people in our church would commit to bringing one friend, one friend. And then we'd have 100 people go through the course over eight or nine weeks. And then I'm praying that out of those 50 people that are invited, 10 of them would profess faith. Are you telling me that you don't have a single friend who needs to hear the gospel? I know you do. And now you have about seven months to build a relationship up with them enough to bring them in the fall. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you that the gospel has reached our hearts. Lord, that you have redeemed us. Lord, I praise you that even if we never bring anyone to faith, you still love us and you accept us. Now, Father, I thank you that we are not saved by these discipleship steps. We are saved because of Jesus. And now we can live out these steps 
by your spirit, and for the joy set before us. Lord, as we get ready to take communion, even now, would you be preparing our hearts and minds to remember the cross and our forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, friends, it's the first Sunday of the month, which means it's Communion Sunday. Uh, It's a great opportunity to reflect on the great truths of our faith. And so as we get ready to take this table, we're going to stand and recite that ancient creed, the Apostles' Creed right now. So if you would please stand, and uh, this is for the Christians in the room. Repeat this out loud with me. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy worldwide church, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, let's sing.